The Network Live. News, insights, and stories right here on KNEL 95.3 FM and knelradio.com every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Don't miss this opportunity to hear world news, insights, and stories from guests around the world. The Network Live is your pathway to connecting people and ministries. to put me in and he put me in a little small church you know in the south with a with a with a father who struggled with mental illness um a mother who you know trained us to keep every secret but i love that i always tease and say well you know it's a good thing i grew up in a holiness church because can you imagine how i would have turned out <laughs> i'd be a star in vegas that's what i'd be <laughs> my sisters and my brother and i we were we were very close and Sadly, uh, when I became a teenager, my big sister was 20 when she was killed in a car accident. We had just moved to the Nashville area. That was hard. And then about 19, 20 months later, my little sister, uh, we found out she had leukemia and she passed away in 21 days. And so I lost both my sisters by the time I was out of high school. And that tragedy, I think, was also the catapult to just really end the marriage. And my parents divorced. Um, and it was one of those very public and sad and embarrassing things that a little teeny tiny community finds out that the preacher's, you know, having an affair. And it was just, it was messy, you know, it's just a messy life and an embarrassing way to end a, you know, ministry and all of that. And my brother married and moved away to Ohio and began his life as he should. And I went to college and I struggled really, to tell you the truth, probably struggling to put all of that in perspective. I was a theater arts major, and I loved being in plays. I loved the escaping of a, of a production. And I got a job at Opryland, which was a theme park. And I thought it would be a great summer job. And I fell in love with the role they gave me to impersonate Minnie Pearl. And the only reason they gave me that role is because I didn't know how to dance, because I grew up where dancing will send you straight to hell in a handbasket. And, and I said, the, the, the inability to dance is what gave me a career. I just fell in love with the sound of the laughter. It, it became the more of, a, um, of an interest to me than singing a song or the applause of people. I loved the laughter. And looking back now with hindsight, I realized God was using the medicine that I so desperately needed and the medicine he designed to, to change my life. And I, I, I fell in love with that medicine first. And the, the sound of the laughter and the joy that it brought my life was, was uh, such a sweet gift, never thinking I would enter into some type of an idea of a career. At that particular time in my life, I met my high school sweetheart, and we became, you know, uh, just head over heels for each other. We eventually married, and lo and behold, you know, got involved in a little local church and just trying to figure out who I am. And then I got serious with the Lord. <laughs> and I always tell people, I don't know what your, you know, theology is, but I got saved 342 times. Finally, one of those times, it really did strike me, you know, and I really did want to, I wanted to tell the world what the Lord had brought me through and how he had brought laughter 
to to my life and what an intrigue and beautiful gift it was. I would uh, entertain at my little local church. I remember we had a Valentine banquet and somebody canceled out on the last minute to come entertain our little church. And my pastor said, put your put your mini pearl dress on and, you know, give us 15 minutes and then give a word of testimony because, you know, we're desperate. And it's like a, you know, a, a moment was born in my life and never never focused on, I'm going to build a massive career of this. Just take the next step. And before long, the phone's ringing and, you know, I meet a fellow that says, you you know, you should go on tour with Mark Lowry. And I'm like, well, who is Mark Lowry? And, and, and as the rest they say is history. It's those truthful things that I have shared on the stage, I think is probably what's given me a 25 year career. The truth is what has set me free every day of my life um, is being completely honest. And the first person I learned that I've had to be completely honest with is God. And when I have been completely honest with him about where I, what I'm feeling, where I'm at, uh, you know, Father, just hold me in this moment. You may not heal this moment, but sustain me through this. Hold me through this. The Jesus calling came along in my life when I had been through a deep, deep depression. And about the same time, my sister-in-law and my brother were near divorce. She was a pastor's wife, and it was just a broken time for our family. It just seemed like we were bombarded from every side. Man, what a tender time that it came. And Doris and I would sit, and in my darkest days, she would just read one after another, one after another. And it was written in a way where it was fresh and new and help the word to be understanding and when you are deeply depressed and you can't even focus on words on a page just hearing it in that way uh it brings it to life again you know it's a it's a it's been a tender journey it's been a you know what people don't see behind the scenes is i hope well what i hope they see behind the scenes is the love story that i have with the lord is is how we've just been in this together from the start. And I do believe that God allows us to deal with things as he's ready for them to unfold in our life and ready to purge them out. So me, to me, I think of our minds as a, a, a bowl of marbles, you know, and there are times when we can lose a few marbles in order for God to put some good stuff in. And so I, I, I think that's kind of how my depression came about. I was uh, late 40s, uh, you know, um, maybe mid 40s when um, I just I kept thinking I had this horrible headache I could never get rid of. I wanted to sleep all the time. I had very little appetite. You know, uh, my my body was definitely doing something to warn me, you know, and then um, I had just a minor surgery of something very simple and. It could be the doctor says even the being put to sleep can reset your brain chemistry, you know, and all those things accumulated at at the right moment, at the perfect storm. And I found myself in deep, deep depression, crying all the time, just sad about life, you know, all the sadness of my life. I just could not get over it. I couldn't uh, focus on future. I just... I thought, too, you know, my, my career is over. Ministry is never again going to be in the works for me because people will hear you're depressed, you know. Um, and and just, the, just the nature of my job is to make everybody laugh. So now what will we do? We're a two-paycheck family, you know. And 
and up. All those things that this that just come about during those dark season, I got suicidal. I don't know that I would have ever followed through with it, but I did confess to my daughter one morning that I, I was afraid. And she said, what are you afraid of? I said, because I was laying here thinking of how I could get on the rocks in the backyard and jump in the river. I lived on the river then. And, um, and she says, well, Mom, are you wanting to kill yourself? I said, oh, I just don't want to be alive. And she was smart enough as an adult daughter, you know, to go in and tell her daddy. And I, you know, I later have a funny story about, see, she told my husband, my husband told the pastor, the pastor told the doctor, the doctor told Verizon Network. (laughs) And they all took me to Vanderbilt Psychiatric Hospital, you know, and I, and I praise God that they did. I don't know that I would have ever followed through, but what I learned about my body and about my mind and about depression at Vanderbilt was life-changing and was something that has carried me through now for the last 12 years afterwards, you know. But as, you know, as we all do when we think we're an expert about something, we write a book about it. And I wrote a book called Laughing in the Dark about what I was learning, about how to push back on that. Sometimes people are depressed. They just are down. And you look at your body, you look at your circumstance. And I, I tell ladies this every night from the platform. If you're if you lost your husband last year and and you just have still have tough days climbing out of the tenderness and you hear a song on the radio and it sets you back a couple of hours, you know, your body is doing exactly as it should do. It is triggering in you the emotion that was created for this moment. If you've lost your job last week and you're just really worried and struggling, your body is exactly doing what it should. Now, the converse is true. If you lost your husband 10 years ago and you still can't seem to function, then we need to go talk to somebody. You know, we need to begin to climb out of that dark. And and, Or everything in your life is great and you still wake up crying every morning. Then, Then that's a trigger of going, okay, there's something deeper at work here. That's the place to start looking. Uh, what did happen in your childhood? What are some things that maybe the devil is using to whisper negative thoughts in your ears? And let's Let's begin to repair some of that. And there is such hope. I have not had a deep, dark, depressing episode in probably 10 years. And that is just the healing power of Jesus. And I I tell the crowd this all the time. The healing power of Jesus and 150 milligrams of Effexor. So (laughs) as dysfunctional as my childhood was, it was still rooted in the Word of God. It was still rooted in good stuff. I still experienced children's church and worship services and incredible music, you know, and so the, at at the peel away all the dirt and the mud and the mire, there was a rock solid foundation there that was all about Jesus. And so that never returns void. So you take that and, and I look at my husband's life and in his childhood, he did, was not raised that way. Now, he came to know Jesus when he was, um, you know, a, a high school student. And then his walk with the Lord grew and matured from there. And we we had a, a godly home and we worked at all that. But the very root of, and the foundation of his life was steeped in alcoholism. His father was an alcoholic. Every male in his family was an alcoholic. You know, his mother was, was very dysfunctional. You know, and so that was the root Underneath the mud of his childhood, there was not a good, strong foundation. And so when sadness came to our home, and you can't be married for 31 years and not have the ups and downs, especially for a wife that travels too much, you know, um, 
we had a daughter who married and, and gave birth to a little boy and somewhere in all of that they decided to to have a very limited time with with the family they eventually broke off completely from everybody from their grandparents from us from my brother you know from everybody for david and i it was a gut-wrenching heartbreaking it was the worst thing we had ever been through in our lives we felt like you know it was just you know the crying out and the pleading can we see our grandbaby can you know it was just tough and and for the foundation of where I was, I just would cry out to God and I would lean on, you know, girlfriends and I would and I would get busy and work. Let me just go work and tell people about Jesus. You know, David secretly spiraled into alcohol. And um, I remember one time him com- collapsing at home. I thought he was having you know a seizure of some sort and he came to bed late and I was trying to get him in the bed. And I said, something is wrong with you, honey. And. And I, I know this sounds so bizarre, but this is how I had, guess I had my head in the sand, but uh, I took, I called an ambulance and I, I thought he was having a seizure. I called my son who was upstairs in his room. I said, come help me get dad in the car. And, and we couldn't get him in the car and an ambulance came and we went to the hospital and they began to run tests because here's this beautiful English professor and brilliant man and marathon runner. And all of a sudden he's not, he can't focus. He can't make a sentence. <laughs> And they ran tests and said, ma'am, your husband's not having a seizure. He's drunk. You could have just said, I'm sorry, your husband is an alien from Mars. You know, he has green blood. It just absolutely shocked the daylights out of me. And I, you know, and then I began to pay attention. And I went to the garage and I found his stash. And I noticed how much gum he chooses to hide his breath. And, and so then he couldn't hide his secret and it became an un a full-out war, you know, that, that we fought together and uh, for five years. And it was a five-year, you know, sober a few days, not sober a few days, in and out of rehab. And eventually he had a stroke and, um, and he died. And it, um, and it was hard. It, it was hard. We, you know, um, my daughter did come and visit him, but it is still an unresolved sadness in my life that we just pray every day and give to the Lord every day, but it was a shock. A few years ago, many of you know, my family went through an odd, well, I did. They just had sat on the sidelines going, whoo, that's odd. And uh, I was diagnosed as clinically depressed. There's no kind of great way of getting into that. I didn't fall down, scratch my knee and went, wow, I'm depressed about this. I don't know how clinical depression shows up. You know, one doctor thought it might be menopause and I slapped him. And then he said, oh, yes, I'm right, it's menopause. If you are uh, clinically depressed and then uh, you make a living as a stand-up comedian, That'll pretty much throw a kink in your job. You guys really wouldn't have bought a ticket to see me stand here and cry for two hours, but I don't know, maybe you would. This is kind of a sick crowd here today. I did write a book called Laughing in the Dark, and I um, and kind of wrote about that experience and actually what I was learning and what I'm still learning about depression. A lot of people say, well, I don't say a lot of people, my shrink actually said that depression is anger turned inward. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard that, but that's what they say, which that really made me kind of mad. I am... Because I kept arguing all the time, I'm not mad. I'm not angry at anybody or anything. If you keep saying that, I'm going to get angry. But uh, as medicine...
medicine kicked in and does what we're blessed that medicine can do. So, you know, uh, diabetics take insulin so they can eat cake. Back to the kidding. Yes, praise the Lord. <laughs> and, and I don't feel any different about antidepressants. Now, don't send me emails. I've gotten tons of them in the last few years that I've talked about this. I know that there's a stigma within the Christian community that we're not supposed to be medicating our brains. That could be what's wrong with a lot of the Christian community. <laughs> for a moment. You know, how arrogant of us to think that this organ is any more or less important than any other organ in our body. When the Bible talks often about God judging and knowing the heart. And so I, I don't see anywhere in scripture where it says, be careful, God really pays attention to your brain waves. <laughs> no, I think God um, is bigger than what's just going on with the chemistry of my brain. Um, he knew menopause was going to come along. I praise the Lord for medicine. I love that uh, God gives us tools. And one of the things I learned while I was in rehab is that there's a lot of tools out there. So if someone ever shames you about the medicine that you're taking or your hormones so that you don't kill your husband, <laughs> tell them to take their glasses off and drive home. You know, it's an interesting thing when a committed Christian tells you about being committed. We don't quite know what to do with that, do we? You think, you think it's weird. How'd you like to be committed? I don't know if you've ever been committed to a psychiatric hospital, but it can be a really tr good trip. Except for the whole admission process. Uh, and the rubber gloves thing that you know they have to check your suitcase what you can take in there what will be not what, what you won't hurt yourself with and so and uh, I couldn't take my uh, little belt from my robe and I couldn't take my um, picture frame I could take the picture out they did let me have my Bible you know but I'm not too much of a downer kind of person I like to laugh but I hit a place where I was thoroughly convinced that the world would be better off, and especially my children would be better off without me. At first, when I first started sharing that, I was, I was a little embarrassed. And then the more you find out when you share your story with somebody or you talk to your neighbor, you're shocked that they've been there too. And, uh, and they have felt that way too. And these are great, wonderful Christian people. So either God is messing up or there really is something going on in the chemistry and in the finite bodies we are created to house until Jesus comes. There's, sometimes we just have to say it's just some medical thing going on. and Whatever that medical thing is, I hit it. And I hit it hard. In the mornings, I don't know about you if you've ever dealt with depression morning, is absolutely my toughest time because it's you wake up and crack your eyes open hoping that that dark thing is gone and when you notice that it's there you just feel so defeated and when you feel it back again you just start questioning your faith 
you keep searching to see if there's a sin hidden down in your life somewhere that I forgot to mention, so God's just not going to take care of that one. Uh, there's just a million things. You've, you're ruining your kids. They see you like this. You're not getting the laundry done. You just start making that list of defeat before your feet ever hit the floor. And my daughter came in and said, Mom, how are you doing this morning? And I began to cry. And I told her if I had the energy, I would just get up and head to the backyard and I'd crawl on those rocks over there on the side and I'd just jump in the river. And I wish you guys would just let my body wash down and just hope they never find it. No one will have to know. No one will have to hear about it. I got videos. They'll go on till the end of time. And, and I love you. I've, I've done well. I've raised you well. And you just, you just need to let me go. I just don't want to live like this again. I can't face this again. My daughter, in her tender wisdom and her fresh degree, said, um, Mom, I'm going to have to tell Dad you said that. <laughs> and I'm grateful that she did. She walked in the hallway, and I could hear their voices muffled, and David comes in there so lovingly, says, Hun, you want to jump in the river? It's only about a foot deep out there, huh? <laughs> a real sick family. <laughs> when I was crying, I said, yeah, yeah, I want to jump in the river. I, I, I'm ruining y'all's life. I'll never have another job. I mean, there's not a church out there ever going to invite me to their building when they find out I just ready to end it all. And so it's over. There's nothing else for me to do. I've, I've done well here. I become this little martyr, you know. And they put me in the hospital. I was very ashamed. I was very embarrassed. To tell you the truth, you guys were the last ones on my mind. Sorry. At that point, your career just doesn't matter. You just, you want to get out of the dark. You just want to get well. And I would lament and cry and pray and... I would read my Bible and, you know, my, when they took me to the hospital, we had to call back home and have my teenage son do the packing for me. I didn't even know he knew where my room was. Zachary is 18 and, you know, it was around Christmas time and when you get Christmas presents, it always prompts you to clean out your closet. And so I had my box of Goodwill sitting there in, right inside the door of my room. And uh, I'm sure Zachary walked in and said, well, this is handy. So he packed stuff in there that I, you know, I didn't look depressed. I looked homeless as I had on David's boxers, some kind of Tweety Bird t-shirt thing, and my robe hanging open, and it was the old robe I don't use anymore that my dog had just bit and chewed all around the bottom of it, just tattered. It was just pathetic. And even in your depression, which is self-centered enough, you have that one little, you know, brink of ego. That you're sitting there going, I hope this nurse doesn't know who I am. And she gives you the body search, you know, and looks at you in your outfit. And she patted me on the back and said, by the way, I love that one video you did about the four-eyed blonde and the <laughs> pairs of glasses. And the, oh, that we watch that upstairs all the time. So I'm like, oh, great. The psychiatric hospital knows who I am. And so I went to a floor that was there for people suffering from depression. And to tell you the truth... <laughs> 
I'm, I'm not quite where the Apostle Paul was when he says, I've become very grateful for this thorn in my flesh because it's that thing that kept me close to the Lord. I'm almost there, but I am seeing how he uses everything to get our attention, to teach us something, to woo us to himself. He's a good listener. He's a very smart father. So I was there at this clinic, and it was, it was amazing, the things I was learning. And they thought for sure that in my depression, I really kind of needed to get in touch with this idea of anger. Now, one of the interesting things that um, I learned is, um, is about group. <laughs> I don't know if anybody ever been in group. Anybody ever been in group? Well, I know you're probably not supposed to say it, but I... I guess there's supposed to be some kind of anonymity there, but I tell everything about myself. Maybe that's why I like group. When it gets to me, I go, I'm going to need a lot of time here. You... you sit in a circle. You face complete strangers. You have to, what you do, what you say is check in and you say, hi, I'm Shonda. And they say, hi, Shonda. See, they've been the group over there. You check in and you, you talk back and forth to one another. And when it's your turn, you say, hi, I'm Shonda. I'm here because I am deeply and darkly depressed. Then the cool thing about group is I would check in and I'd say, I'm depressed. I've been a Christian for 30 years and now all of a sudden I'm depressed. I tell people about it every now and then and I thought I was doing well. I thought it was working and now here I am. I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm trying to get in touch with my anger. I'm, I'm actually... I'm kind of mad at God, to tell you the truth. He's very opinionated. I can't even tell him a decent joke. I mean, have you ever tried to tell the Lord a knock-knock joke? Knock-knock. I know. I say he's not cooperating with me. If he'd learn to do it my way. We could plow through this thing, and I just rattle off. But here's the cool thing. Then they say, thank you for sharing. Next. Nobody condemned. Nobody guessed. Nobody had yet another verse for you. Nobody handed you the latest Bible study and said, well, you need to do this one. Here's what your problem is. Nobody said, have you, have you praised him enough today? Have you, have you been teaching a Sunday school class? You should dive in and teach a Sunday school class. Have you left it with the Lord? Have you pled the blood? Have you been delivered? Nobody said anything. It was, thank you for your honesty. Next. Then we stood in a circle and we prayed. People hugged each other. It's good to see you. Hope you have a better week. And then the next day, we did it again. And it dawned on me one day why I was loving that. It's what I thought church was supposed to be. I love the church. It's all I know. I grew up sitting on the second row, piano side. I could smell the pine pew. I can remember the old songs the choir would sing. But we are crowding in Sunday after Sunday and we're worried about what kind of cream they have in the coffee bar. And if we're going to use choruses on the iMag or we're going to use the old hymns or whose praise band is more hip than the other. And we have people dying in a pew to be heard. They just need to tell you the truth. 
Because from all that I can understand in the Bible, it says you will know the truth and it will set you free. What I've longed for probably most all my life is to be able to look at the body of Christ and tell the absolute truth and for them to accept you right where you are. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you would like to hear a rebroadcast of the Network Live, visit knelradio.com or find our podcast on iTunes and podbean.com. To follow more news, insights, and stories, follow the Network Live on Facebook. If you would like more information about being a guest on the Network Live, contact us at thenetworklive.org. The Network Live will be back next week at 10 a.m. right here on KNEO Radio 95.3 FM and KNEOradio.com. I'm Debbie Rule. Thank you for listening today.